1: Make it clean. Make it kind. M.I.P. With Marcamella, Matt Fromo.
0: Mark Thompson. Make it kind. Get woke.
1: God bless you. Get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest, who we've not had a chance to talk to since the pandemic broke out, is the editor of Democracy, a journal of ideas, author of the book, If We Can Keep It, How the Republic Collapsed and How It Might Be Saved. And of course, he is special correspondent to thedailybeast.com. Michael Tomaski joins us now to talk about uh, pandemic, plus death cult plus Obamagate equals we're effed, y'all. Michael, welcome back, buddy. How are you and yours, and how are you all faring in this pandemic?
2: Well, we're hanging in there. Thank you. Um, uh, you know, up here in the suburbs of Washington, and, you know, at least I have a neighborhood to walk the dog in and so forth. But uh, we're none of us is sick, thank goodness. So things could be worse. How about you?
1: Uh, pretty good, you know, just managing in this epicenter and blessed in the 2,500 cases a day, and and we haven't been any of them yet, so yeah, thankful for that. But this is uh, this stuff is is scary, and I mean, from everything we've been able to see, ending the lockdown as Trump and his Republican governors and armed militia want to do is probably going to result in in more in more cases.
2: Yeah, it just seems like madness to me. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it unfolds. I, I hope we're wrong. But, uh, of course, you know, people want to get back to work. They want to get their paychecks back. They want to be able to p- feed their kids and pay their mortgages. Of course, you know, one understands why people are completely freaked out about all that stuff. Um, but at the same time, you know, the science seems. Pretty clear from what all the scientific people I see on TV and read in the media say, which is that you know until you've got this um, you know 14 days of of you know limiting the number of new cases and, and flattening that curve, it's it's just not safe to do these things. So you know we're seeing some contradictory evidence. They say so far in Florida it's it's all right, but Texas seems to be having these spurts, and Georgia a little bit, and. Yeah, you know, I don't know, but yeah, obviously that's the big concern that if that if we do what Trump wants, and now he's enlisting pro-Trump doctors to go out and say people should go back to work. You know, these obviously aren't frontline doctors. I bet they're just you know pro-Trump doctors like that that guy who said he was the most healthy person ever to run for president. Uh, you know they could just prolong this after, and that's of course after his epic. Complete worst in the advanced world failure at handling this.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, you've you've called their approach a death cult.
2: Well, there's just something very weird about it. You know, the, this whole thing about you know defying uh, you know defying science, not wearing masks. It's uh, it's become you know not wearing the mask has become a symbol of of not only being with Trump, but but. Uh, You know, expressing a certain worldview that's that's bigger than Trump, and uh, and yeah, it's as if uh, I mean, if you go into some of these really extreme right wing sites, you see stuff like, you know, let's go infect the libtards, and of course, you see things about how, you know, it's disproportionately affecting people of color, which to a normal human being is a tragedy, but to them is a is a selling point. And on and on and on and um, yeah, it's just like uh, they not only like want you and me to die, or some of us, uh, or they don't care about it, but they don't mind getting sick, you know, if it helps the cause <laughs> or something. So in the, I'm not saying that of everybody, but it's, it's just a, it's a kind of general psychology that's that's very weird. You know what I mean? mm
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and the whole thing about grandmothers. uh, Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they should be sacrificed if necessary. Yeah. That's the the sickest thing I've ever heard of.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no grandmothers, the the old, the infirm, the weak, the poor, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there are undoubtedly some Americans who see this as an opportunity for a great, you know, um, purgation of, you know, what, Dickens called the surplus population.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you have also listed some of these uh, thousand cuts by which death occurs. Um, Jared Kushner, first of all, he he's saying he, he, we may not, you know, we may not have an election. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Now, here we're moving on from death of any given individual to death of the republic known as the United States of America. yeah, And, and yeah, I mean, it, you can just see it happening. You can see it happening day by day, week by week, sometimes hour by hour. The things these people do uh, that just pile up and pile up and pile up, and, and it's too much for any person to process. You know, the stuff that Mike Pompeo is up to right now, like these dinners that were written about on uh, I guess it was Wednesday morning that NBC broke the story about these these sleazy dinners he, he was having in the State Department. I mean, that alone would be a massive, massive, massive story in any normal news context. But now it's just going to fade into the woodwork because there's so much. But yeah, to get back to Jared, just casually, him casually saying some days ago, whenever it was, yeah the, the plan is to have an election but I don't really know it's not really my call but there's 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 no plan not to have an election I mean are you crazy are, what kind of person are you but mm-hmm. you know they're just teeing it up to do yeah. whatever it is they feel they need to do do, um,
1: do, you, do you think that could really happen that they could postpone or not have the election Michael, I mean, and 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 I'm I'm not just saying that. I mean, we know the Supreme Court. We know that there are those who would go with him. I, I'm that that sounds like that's something they might really try to do.
2: Oh yeah, oh yeah. I put nothing past them. Uh, I, you know, I put absolutely nothing past them. You know, I also wrote in this column, there were some advisors to Abraham Lincoln who wanted him to postpone the election in 1864, but Lincoln's view was, well, this war. Is about democracy, and if we postpone democracy because of this war, doesn't that sort of ruin the point? No. Now, that's an admirable posture that you know you'd like to see a president of the United States have. But of course, this president is like he's just—he'll cheat at anything he can cheat at. Uh, so, you know, yes, you're right to mention the Supreme Court. I suppose if they try it, it'll come down to the Supreme Court, and it'll probably come down to John Roberts. And whether he thinks it's more important to uphold uh, the Constitution and a law that Congress passed in 1845, setting the date of the election. So, a law that's, you know, 180 years old, roughly, 175. Uh, whether he thinks that's more important or whether he thinks it's more important on balance. Well, this is all kind of smelly, but. You know, if Trump gets another term, we got a couple another conservative judges on this court, and and you know, conservatism rules the day for another four years. I, I I I don't know. I don't know what these people think anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, well, but that also, of course, we're talking about democracy or the lack uh, thereof. Um, you wrote a piece in the New York Times about a year ago on competitive authoritarianism. Tell us about that, if you would.
2: Yeah, well, this is really interesting. Um, So it turned out that there there were a couple of political scientists. I tripped across this book last summer. A couple of political scientists who were studying countries. This was in the late 90s and the early to mid 2000s. They were studying countries, and they they work in the field of what what they call in political science democracy studies, and they were studying countries that were transitioning to democracy, but hadn't quite made the full transition yet. Yeah. In other words, dictator died, and they had an election, or in the case of the Eastern Bloc countries, you know, the Soviet Union collapsed, and the Eastern Bloc collapsed, and they were trying to move to democracy. So they studied these countries and and said, you know. Uh, they came up with these criteria for determining whether they had made the transition to democracy and uh, you know, some of them had become democracies and some of them were still authoritarian. And then a lot of them were in this middle ground in between that didn't have a name, right? So they gave it a name and the name is competitive authoritarianism and they define competitive authoritarianism as a country that has the, the, the trappings of democracy. Uh, For example, uh, officially a two-party or a multi-party system, officially a free press, officially an independent judiciary, uh, but in practice doesn't really have all those things. So they hold elections, and the elections look like elections, but they're almost always won by the one side. Mm. Uh, Mm. And so they, at the time, they were writing. They were writing about, you know, Belarus, Mozambique, places like that. But I, but you know, everything they said now applies to the United States of America and the Republican party. They're a competitive authoritarian party. Mm-hmm. They want it to look like democracy, but not really be democracy. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and the, the illusion is actually that which is competitive. So it looks like you're having elections and competing, for power, but you 're really a, a de facto authoritarian regime,
2: yeah, well, I mean, if you're having an election, but you're making sure that you know uh, you know three hundred thousand people, or is it four hundred in Wisconsin can't vote mm-hmm. because of the color of their skin, you know w- what kind of free election is that right, and, and, and by and, the way, i don 't know if you know people notice, but like that judge that right wing judge in Wisconsin who lost. Mm -hmm. To the liberal woman in -hmm. the recent election when they held the primary that they made people stand in line and get sick. Yes. That judge has now unrecused himself from this voting law case. So he's now going to rule on it and they're going to rule four to three to kick these people off the voter rolls.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's that's definitely authoritarianism.
2: That's competitive. That's competitive authoritarianism right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You you did mention the State Department, too. Uh, Another inspector general fired. I mean, if that's not authoritarianism, I don't know what it is. It's just, we're going to do whatever we want to do. Oh, yeah. There'll be no accountability, no repercussions. It's It's just whatever.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, there's nothing that anybody can do about it, because as long as Mitch McConnell won't do anything about it, and the Republicans, then there's not that much the Democrats can do. I mean, I do think the Democrats in the House could could have been and could still be much more aggressive in oversight, much more aggressive. Um, and uh, you know, Republicans sure would have been. I mean, you know, all the hearings they held on the non-Benghazi issue, you know, they'll. <laughs> uh, so Democrats in the House could be more aggressive on oversight. I think there's no question about that, but. Uh, it's really up to Republicans as long as McConnell controls the Senate. And of course, he's not going to do anything.
1: I like this country. Yeah. No, I'd like to think that Democrats um, being more aggressive was probably, i like to think it was somehow probably related to them trying to find an answer to how to hold hearings virtually. And obviously in the past couple of weeks, I think they figured that out. You know, um, they have a secure means by which to do that. Now it looks like they've even voted, you know, for ways to vote uh, for distance voting themselves. So now that there's no excuse now to hold hands, I'd like to think they would be more aggressive. You know, I mean. Well,
2: I'd like to think, but I mean, this kind of this predates this predates the pandemic, too. You know, I mean, they took control in January of uh, 19. And. uh you know, they try. I mean, I guess, you know, it's a complicated story. I mean, if 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 some Democratic oversight chairman or chairwoman were here now, they'd say, well, guys, you know, we subpoenaed people and they just ignored our subpoenas. And, uh, you know, there's some truth to that, too. And that's another one that is going to be up to John Roberts, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Can
2: they, can they just ignore these subpoenas? I mean, it's, 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 it's an outrage. It's, it's, it's an open and shut it to me. And I, and like to any constitutional person Congress has had oversight power since the very first Congress, Since yeah. the very first Congress. And, and so and I, I don't understand how, you know, and even if, even if, the the good guys prevail, and Roberts votes with the liberals, and it's 5-4, the administration must cooperate with Congress, that still leaves us with two very grim facts. Number one, four justices on the United States Supreme Court voted to support this lawlessness. And number two, Trump's still going to say, I'm not doing it. I don't care. What, are you going to arrest me, John Roberts? Come arrest me. Where's your your police force? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, right. That's exactly what he'll do. Right. Yeah, he right. Uh, of course, another of the thousand cuts are, is is obamagate um I mean, that's helping <clears throat> to mobilize his base. But I don't, I don't know the American people in general are falling for it now. Some of our friends in media are. They've been legitimizing yeah. it with coverage. But I'll be honest with you, Michael. You know how smart can it be to run against a popular president? Obama's gone, so you like resurrect him for the purpose of running against him uh, and not to mention, you want him to come and testify for 17 hours like Hillary did on Benghazi. Is that what you really want to do? Is that Mark? You know, do you really want to give him a form? You know, I I don't know if that's the, the, the the brightest or the deepest cut of all.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, but it's, it's again, it's just, you know, an unspeakable, unspeakably outrageous thing that in any other administration and in a normal time where Congress took its constitutional duties more seriously and wasn't just a partisan would have Washington just absolutely up in arms. It's all manufactured and everybody knows it's all manufactured, but they've invented this narrative about the deep state and you know, you watch. I mean, this Durham guy, Bill Barr. You know, Bill Barr. Is, Bill Barr thinks that liberals are godless threats to you know uh, the natural order, and so anything's justified. When you think that, anything is justified. So this guy Durham, I guess, is going to return indictments against. I don't know who. I don't want to you know name. name. I don't want to asperse anybody, but we know who the, we know who the, their targets are. Mm-hmm. And they're going to try and have phony trials about these guys during an election year. And, uh, you know, they're going to try to taint Biden. I mean, just everything, you know, like this Susan Rice email that was revealed Tuesday night from inauguration day, completely innocuous email. It just says, buy the book, buy the book, go buy the book. We want to make sure we go by the book. Mm -hmm. And somehow they're turning that into some kind of like creepy, scary, you know, nefarious thing. It's just every, Every word that comes out of their mouths these days is a lie, including "and" and "thee," as, uh, <laughs> as Mary McCarthy once said of Lillian Hellman.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I was saying to someone else this week. You know, the nineteenth was um, Mal would have been Malcolm X's ninety-fifth birthday. Wow. You probably heard of the conspiracy theory at one time because they went from birtherism. It was birtherism. Then yeah. it was well, Obama's an illegitimate son of Malcolm X, right? Mm, right. <laughs> now, how do you go right. from that to then being this behind-the-scenes, wizard of odds, deep state government orchestra? You know, that right. means it's too extreme. So the son of Malcolm X is now uh, uh, running the, the, the government <laughs> from a secret place. I mean, it's just whatever they can throw up against the wall. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so now you you mentioned what Congress ought to be doing more of uh what about the Biden campaign? How are you feeling about his campaign and I mean obviously it's not getting as much coverage as it deserves um but 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 how do you think that's shaping up
2: uh, you know i I feel okay about his campaign right now i mean he he has responded there's only so much he can do, he's got to stay home. You yeah. know, God forbid he can't get sick amen um So he's got to stay home. Yeah. There's only so much he can do. There's only so much attention he's going to get. Um, I'm very encouraged by the moves he's made since this pandemic, and I mean he's talking, you know, if you want to say more left, fine, you know, or more populist, or, or more aggressive, more, more, uh, more toward, you know, a really much more aggressive and active role for government in responding to this crisis. He's definitely moved there. I mean, putting AOC on that task force, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So I think Biden has has made terrific moves in these last few weeks. And I think the Tara Reid thing is kind of over. I mean, I think I don't pass judgment on whether she's telling the truth or not, but there are enough holes there for people to wonder, A, and B, Biden handled it well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, it's not to say that Trump's not going to try to bring it up or whatever, but, you know, I I don't think it's a voting issue for, you know, I mean, just a vanishingly small number of people at this point.
1: Yeah. Uh, 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 Quickly, Michael, can I share something with you just on that? If you don't mind, Yeah, please. what I've been saying to people is this, because I think we've all, you know, those of us who have been, have been empathetic to the Me Too movement and we support it. I support it, you support it. But I, I think the way we have to look at this now, and I think the Biden case, if no other, puts us in this position, is really what is equivalent to what is a sentencing disparity. So that Trump can have dozens of accusers, and it's yeah. ignored, and the media is no big deal. But when a Democrat does it, because we are, as Democrats, tend to be on the moral high ground and have more moral authority, like in the case yeah. of Al Franken and others, You know, it it can be tolerated. Biden should withdraw all of that. And what I'm saying is if if we follow those rules from here on out, there won't be any Democrats, you know, just based upon an accusation. Because so up to this point, the rule of thumb has been a mere accusation would disqualify you. And so to me, that's a sentencing disparity that sometimes we ourselves have unfairly opposed on our side. And so I, I think we have to look at it. I think there has to be a way to take accusers seriously and examine their stories without there being a sentence prematurely rendered such right. as to harm us politically and the country, all the country democratically. You, Michael is telling us about competitive authoritarianism. He's not making it up. That is what we are seeing. So you play right into that. If so we, all they can do is say, well, look, let's put a Me Too case on everybody we can. Yeah, I we're gone, and then they've yeah. got they they've got it. So you know that's just my thought about. It. And I'm and again, that has nothing to do with the merits of the case. It it's just it's again sentencing like crack and powder cocaine. Well, okay, you snort yeah. cocaine powder, you walk around free forever. I smoke crack, I got to go to prison. No, that's not that's not the way.
2: Right. Yeah, I think a I think a good thing seems to have come out of this Tara Reid episode, which is that we've recalibrated the standard. So it's not automatically believe all women, uh, which by the way, a lot of feminists never said, I mean, there was a fantastic op-ed by uh, a woman named Susan Faludi, who's just a great writer uh, uh, on Monday or Tuesday of this week in the, in the New York times that I would recommend people read. It's a, it's a canard. It's a right wing canard that, that that became the standard. But anyway, it, it, we sort of have gone from, you know, you know, this idea that women have to be believed the idea that women have to be heard
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and given a fair hearing without being smeared and stuff. Now that's a good standard. I think that everybody can live with and, and that's how Biden handled this. He said, I have nothing bad to say about her. I just say that this did not happen.
1: Yes.
2: And yes. I think that gives accused men a chance to state their case and stand their ground. While also still respecting women's, you know, uh, 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 ability uh, to come forward uh, with such charges.
1: Yeah, and and I give him high marks too for respecting women when he said, I think it was very commendable for him to say, if you believe Tara Reid, you probably shouldn't vote for me. You know, yeah. uh, I mean right. that to me was a principal position to take, and I'm sure that opened a lot of people's eyes. But lastly, Michael, um, your thoughts on the vice presidential pick. Who, who are you favoring? Who do you think would be, be the best? Oh,
2: you know, I, 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 Kamala Harris was my front runner and probably still is my front runner, um, but my thinking on this has gotten foggier in recent <laughs> days. I mean, um, I was against Warren just because, you know, they have a Republican governor. And he could appoint her successor. Uh, and to me, that's just—you can't put a Republican in the Senate, you know, uh, at a time like this. Just, just can't responsibly do that. Now, I've heard some people say, and I'm going to check this myself later this week uh, or next, that the Massachusetts the legislature can change the law
1: yes, that's and true. take
2: that power—take that power away from the governor.
1: Now, I can defer that—that is true. They can do that.
2: Okay. Okay. Well, you know that that makes Warren more of a possibility. Um, and I don't know, between Warren and Harris, you know, they both have good points and they both have slight shortcomings. Uh, but you know, I, I still would on balance, um, go for Harris. And then somebody made a surprisingly strong case to me on the phone the other day for Susan Rice, Mm -hmm. um, you know, which, you know, she's really smart. Um, she'd come in ready.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, uh, they're, it's an embarrassment of riches. There are a lot of good choices. There uh, are. And, I, I, and
2: nobody's perfect. And everybody should just get yeah. out of their head that there's some perfect person. There, Nobody's perfect, but a lot of them are really good.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh I'm glad we're at a moment where we're at least, um, um, we're considering uh, uh, certainly, for, with certainty, a woman. That yeah. would definitely be a certainty. Yeah. Michael Tomaski, folks at the Daily Beast. Folks, we have learned something today. And I want you to think about it and 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 consider it um, competitive authoritarianism. And, and so that's an illusion of democracy. Uh, we're going to drill down a little bit more on that as time goes back. Very very keen observation, Michael Tomaski. Buddy, you and your family continue to stay well, okay?
2: You too, my friend. Thanks okay. for
1: having me. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. Okay. Cheers. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain.